Hello, this podcast is sponsored by Now Alchemy. Now Alchemy is an amazing company that has formulated the most powerful substance in our body that was taken way back in the Egyptian era known as the food of the gods. Not only does it bring in balance, happiness, and increase your intuition, it decalcifies your pineal gland, which opens up your third eye and increases your light body, allowing your consciousness and your awareness to be open and aware of everything that is going on. The high-level mineral source, which we need today on our planet, is so important. With the fact that the earth itself has been overturned so many times with all of the farming industries, that we do not have access to the rich ormus that is available in this planet. And thanks to now alchemy, we do. We now have the sustenance that our body needs that is brought in from the Himalayan mountains and the Dead Sea. Ormus, which is powerful energy source that moves through your body and brings together a whole synthesis of information to every part of your body. By bringing this mineral source, you are nourishing your body at a cellular level. I love the company for what it stands for and its ethics. And it has been a sponsor of Ancient Wisdom Today podcast since the beginning. And that's why I always ask the tribe to support the sponsors who are sponsoring this show because I go through each of the sponsors with strong ethics and integrity to make sure that whatever they are bringing forth is in align to the planet and into you and for all of us so that we can grow and have health and wellness in our lives. Ormus's company spends a lot of time with advanced scientists, naturopaths, and doctors and herbalists to formulate a sourcing technique that brings in the highest quality of organic ingredients from the most mysterious and desolate countries in order to bring the magic in the bottle, which is Ormus. Now Alchemy is not just for health and wellness community, but for all people seeking to become their greatest version of themselves. And I've been taking this product for many months, and it has been such an addition to my shamanic love that I bring to the world. And how I bring love into the lives of people is by keeping myself healthy and happy and lifted and shifted. By bringing the highest source of minerals in my body, I am able to hold a high vibration of energy and light when doing healing work or when I'm speaking to large groups of people and when I'm here lit and doing Ancient Wisdom Today podcasts. So I invite you to experience the amazingness of Ormus. They have so many powerful selections that you can choose from, from 24 karat gold Ormus to Shilajit to nano-enhanced CBD to Elysium, each bringing a different blend of energy to your body. And I honestly say that this company is really changing the lives of people. Ever since I've mentioned them and shared them with all of the people in the tribe, I've been getting letters and letters of people's lives that have been changing. And not to mention the fact that those who have had suffered so many times from PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, confusion, fog brain, and all of these other symptoms that have been plaguing us because of the onslaught of aggressive energies on our planet, by taking Ormus, these things are cleared, neutralized, and allowing you to have more balance and groundedness in who you are, as well as enhancing your mind so that you're able to think clearly and have a stronger focus. You can get Ormus by contacting www.n.com 
www.nowalchemy.com. That's www.nowalchemy.com. And if you use the code SHAMAN, you'll get 11% off every purchase you make. I'm so happy, tribe, that we are putting beautiful things in our body because putting beautiful things in our body is putting beautiful things in our mind and our spirit. And that allows us to shine and radiate our truth in this world as leaders. I love you. Enjoy the share. Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek is a third-generation shaman, an evolutionary innovator, and a women's empowerment leader. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. We're sharing ancient knowledge in modern times in order to put the power back in people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. Hello, wonderful and beautiful and amazing and spectacular and delicious, beautiful souls filled with love. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. You know, you really are delicious, you know, delicious because you're sweet and you're wonderful. And, you know, you like when you have like a little baby and you just want to kiss that baby because it's just so delicious. That's the delicious that I'm speaking of because you're such beautiful beings, just wonderful. I just want to grab you and just hold you, connect with you. Beautiful, powerful, amazing. Oh, so wonderful. God, I love you. I really, really love you. And it's so amazing because it's like, you know, we all should feel delicious. We should all feel, you know, that that feeling that we felt when we were little kids, when when we just that that beautiful energy of just we just want to hold you and kiss you and love you and smell you and just be in your energy. You know, you're still that person. You're still that sweet child, that beautiful baby in the eyes of spirit. And you always will be this child, this beautiful, beautiful being that's exploring the universe and being loved by creation as you do. And that's why I think it's so important for me to remind you that in your navigation through life, you're always loved. <laughs> you're always loved because... Um, you know, it doesn't matter how far away from heaven we are, how many galaxies or how many dimensions or how many planets we choose to visit and take bodies on. We're always loved, you know? And it's always, it's always that, that remembrance of when we navigate um, dimensions like this one that are held in density and dark, dark matter where the energy is much more dense and more material, more in that phase of not at the highest level of love Yes, as to say, it's always nice to have that reminder that you're loved. You're so loved, <laughs> you know, and that, that just that reminder of reminding you that you're not alone, you're definitely not alone, and that you're loved and that there's like so many spirits that are observing you every day, honoring you and loving you and wanting the best for you and 
creating the best for you. And all you have to do is just be open to that knowingness. Because that's really what it is. It's a it's a knowingness. It's a knowingness that, you know, that everything outside of you, the spirits in the spirit world and the beings of light, they are ushering all types of amazing things to you all the time. And it's just based on timing and energy because of your time, right? It's like where they exist, there is no time. But for you, there is time because it's based on what you're willing to let go of to allow that to come in. So... But I just want you to know you're loved. <laughs> and, you know, when we step into that space of knowing that we're loved, right? It's like also stepping into that that awareness of, like, what does it mean for us to love ourselves? You know, because a lot of times I'll hear that um, from a lot of, like, very self-help gurus, you know, people who in the very metaphysical new age structures will say like, you know, you need to love yourself. It's like, I do love myself. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm on this planet. That's why I got up and left my house to take a walk to this bookstore because I thought there was cool books in the window that I wanted to see and, you know, thought, hey, let me see who the healer is at this place. And and the first thing you tell me is I need to love myself. And that's very interesting because I would have never left the house if I didn't love myself. And I think that we have to really make that strong comparison because a lot of times there's a lot of people who don't believe that they're loving themselves because they're told by some, you know, new age guru or healer or, you know, so, I mean, even not even new age, but I mean, I've heard shamans say it to people and I look at them and I'm like, are you kidding me? Are we, are we operating from an advanced part um, of the spiritual sector? Are we operating from, you know, I'm still stuck in this kind of primordial duality and not really seeing the cup full so that we can continue just to keep filling it, right? Because it's, it's, it's one thing to to um to give people information but it's another thing to understand that information that you get and from the source that you get it from is so important is so important i i i can't begin to tell you how important it is like <laughs> i'll tell you a story so when i was really young and i was in my training in shamanism universe wanted to teach me a very valuable lesson and not a lesson to hurt me or to make me feel like I'm this bad person or that I'm not smart enough or anything of that nature, but to really give me an understanding of discernment and the ability to be able to draw upon my own wellspring of information and knowledge. So I met this guy as I was working for um, this guy named Dr. David. But let me kind of backtrack. Let me backtrack the story a little bit. So, you know, a lot of you know that I came out of a very um, intense household. I had a stepmother who was Catholic, a father who was an apprentice to my grandmother, um, and his grandmother, who um, were both shamans, and my aunt, also who was a, a practicing medicine woman, and they were from Africa. And um, 
being an apprentice um, to my grandmother, also being in the States and Nolens, and my father having to constantly feel ostracized and, you know, feel not accepted by friends. And, you know, a lot of people at that time were very religious. And so, you know, my grandfather decided to turn religion and try to pull that side of the family apart from the old traditions that my grandmother um, and my great-grandmother and her father and family members of lineages go back and were observing and honoring as a tradition of my bloodline. And so um, what was interesting was that my father, you know, at the time, he loved it, you know, uh, he loved it, you know, chopping wood and and heating up the stove and doing all of these things, um, you know, heating up bath water so that when the people came in for their healing, you know, all the herbs and all the policies and all the things were made because he was the apprentice. So his job was to make sure that the table was washed down from the people from the day before and everything was set up so that way they could receive um, the next person that would come in and that all of my grandmother's writings and stuff and, you know, was all kept and, um, and everything was secure and, you know, all the bottles of oils or things that she needed that she would make or tell him to replace and things like that were all ready to go. And, you know, so he grew up in that way. But then of course, when he got, my grandfather started like really shifting over to Catholicism um, out of the understanding of Yoruba culture. I mean, a lot of people have the Santeria, they have um, the the Makumba. And, you know, in a lot of their culture, there is the, there they started operating with saints and, you know, started operating into Catholicism, into African, Cuban, um, all the Latin cultures that were originated out of the very African tradition, which moved into the Latin tradition. And so if you, re, if you, if you don't know, uh, the first woman on the planet um, was uh, this amazing African woman. Africa was a very sacred place at the time when earth was Pangea. But the first women who observed on the earth were medicine women. They were shamans because they knew how to take care and to nurture their children as well as the tribes. And then they passed it down to their sons and then their sons became shamans and, you know, and so forth. And so the cultural traditions were passed down from Africa into Latin culture to, as you see it today in Peru and Mexico and um, Cuba and, you know, and all across the Latin cultures. And, um, and then of course it goes into the Nordic culture, which is more played out in the, you know, the Vikings and um, Odin and so forth. And, you know, and it goes over into the Irish culture and, and, you know, and it keeps going out and, you know, and then of course it's Native American culture as well. And, and so, you know, but the thing is Africa was the traditional core root of where shamanism first derived from in ancient, ancient times. And the rituals were highly observed with very powerful intention. And the interesting thing is um, the Catholicism pulled my father away and he began to get really wrapped up in it. And then all of a sudden my grandfather went from Catholicism because he could never make up his mind, but he felt that he had to go into, he started observing Judaism. And then he didn't quite relate to the Judaism because he loved everything about Jesus from the Catholicism. So he decided to go and become what we call a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, moving the story forward, um, 
as I was training um, in my home, I also dealt with a lot of abuse. And that abuse led me to become very um, about looking for people who I can connect with to, you know, to kind of I would say bury myself into energetically and emotionally and physically. And at the time we had, we were living in a little bit on the outskirts of San Francisco in this town called Foster City, which if anyone knows Foster City, it is a town that was built on water. Um, it's a man-made town that was built on water. And um, it's a very pretentious type area because it's very secluded from the other areas of like San Mateo and Belmont and Redwood City. It's like its own little place with little bridges and uh, little waterways where you can take boats through the lagoon and things like that. And, uh, you know, a little boating community as well. And and then, you know, of course, my father um, was afraid of San Francisco because my dad had this idea that if we were in San Francisco, that the spirits of San Francisco... See, it's interesting because my father, even though he became Seventh-day Adventist, he never really, really wanted to. It's almost like he did it because he loved his dad so much that he was willing to turn his back on the women in his family. And going into um, Seventh-day Adventist, you know, he, there's a, he still observed a lot of the African traditions and stuff that was, you know, cultured in my family, such as like uh, one of the things that he used to do a lot when I was a kid was I was never allowed to spend a night at anyone's house ever, ever. I remember one time I became a teenager and I had this friend named Brian McKibben and it's funny because he actually lived next door to this girl that I actually fell in love with named Erica Hooper. But uh, Brian McKibben was my buddy. You know, he played on the football team. You know, we were all into sports and we had a group of friends. And one day his parents were like, would you like to spend a night? And I was like, oh no, <laughs> that's never going to happen. And then, you know, his mom was like, well, why don't you, you know, let me talk to your father. And I said, yeah, we have very strong traditions in our family. Um, it's not going to happen. And in fact, I need to get going because the light is coming on in the streets and I have to be home when that light comes on, um, you know. And, you know, my dad was very much connected into the idea that there were other families that would find out who our family was because we had a very strong, powerful lineage in Nolens. Even to this day, I have friends who live there and they mention my name, family name, and people know who my family is. My grandmother was very instrumental in the very 1800s. She was good friends with Marie Laveau. You know, we have a lot of connection to to Haiti because of family members, because of my grandmother. Um, fa her family member married someone from Haiti. We have a lot of um, Haitian because my grandmother escaped from Africa during the slave trades. Um, was, this was my great-grandmother who escaped from Africa during the slave trades um, and they had to break up the tribe. A lot of my family members were put into slavery in the Dutch slave houses and um, my grandmother escaped to Haiti and then observed the cultural understandings of Haiti and the, the people and their ways and became a spiritualist, a very powerful spiritualist. And then by the time she got to uh, Nolens, you know, she had married a Haitian man. Um, and then, um, you know, and then her sister, of course, you know, married a Native American. And, you know, so that's why we have that in our bloodline as well. And, um, 
anyway, is going forward. The, the interesting thing is that the story of my lineage of my family, you know, the Verrettes, it's a, they have French in them as well because they were one of the slave traders fell in love with one of my ancestors on the slave ship and decided to let the slaves go and created um, the Verrett legacy. And the, one of the Verrett um, elders was a part of, you know, had a coat of arms from, um, from France, was a part of the royal family. So there was, you know, a lot of um, interesting energy in, in, that, in that suit. So, you know, it's a very interesting mixture in my family of the African and the French and the Haitian and the Native American, and then also the Native American on my mother's side and the Norwegian on my mother's side. It's in the Russian on my mother's side because my mother is Russian Norwegian and her father is born in St. Petersburg. So there's a lot of cultural energies inside of me and my ancestors. But the interesting thing was, um, going back to what I was saying, was my father, you know, he he was very much um, on the fence, you know, but he still kept the tradition. So for instance, like, you know, I wasn't allowed to spend a night at people's homes because he thought they were going to put a curse on me or that they were going to do magic and, and try to put the magic on me to, so that when I would walk back into his house, it would curse our bloodline or curse our family. He would check my clothes, me and my sister's clothes when we'd walk in. He wrote our names on all of our clothes inside the tag so that he would always see the name and make sure that we were wearing the shirt that we left the house with, the pants that we left the house with, the shoes that we left the house with. Everything had our name inside of it. Then he would go make us empty our pockets and check our pockets to see if anyone put any kind of like gri bags on us or any kind of like, you know, um, tokens of, of magic, you know, because uh, in some cultures, for instance, like in gypsy magic, you can place something on someone and you can curse them by having them hold on to it. And they carry the longer they carry it on them, like a button or something, it could actually cause a lot of difficulty to their health and to their well-being. I've seen, a, I've removed a lot of gypsy curses in my life. Um, and like, it was funny because my friend Bonnie was here <laughs> yesterday and we were sitting in my living room here in Los Angeles and you know, we were having so much fun um, just hanging out. I was getting really into these tachyon rods. Um, it was just really amazing. And so we were hanging out and, you know, she said that, you know, if you, she's from, she, if anyone knows who Bonnie is, she was, um, you know, in Harry Potter, she played, um, I think she's is, is Guinea. Guinea Weasley or Ginny. I think it's Ginny or Guinea. I can't remember how she says it. Anyway. Anyway, so, you know, she said, you know, if you were in Hogwarts, you would have been the professor of the dark arts. And it's true because I spent a lot of my life studying the dark arts because I wanted to understand how is it possible that someone can do a curse and operate in dark magic and and affect someone's life, you know, affect someone's uh, well-being or you know, any of these things. And then I wanted to get a little bit deeper in understanding like what is a curse? You know, is it just, is it just created by, you know, um, someone having to do a spell or a ritual or go into a graveyard and do something? Or, you know, when gypsies are putting curses on people because they feel disrespected by them and, you know, all these different curses, Arabic curses that exist where people would call in the jinn to curse people and, you know, all these different things that I studied and learned as a kid. And I have to say, I'm so schooled in the dark arts. I love it because I can protect so many people and teach them how to navigate themselves out of the nonsense. However, 
going back to what I was saying was, you know, going back to the lesson and the beginning of that I was explaining you about. So, you know, I got really caught up with um, some very interesting people that I thought were there to really support me. And I had one woman, this woman named Maggie, who was in San Francisco and she became like a mother figure to me. I was always trying to get away from my home. I always felt my father and my stepmom were like tyrants and like always inflicting these crazy rules and punishments that were just drastic, um, both on a physical level, emotional and mental level. And so Maggie, and then she had a brother named Michael. I used to go spend time at their house. I used to take the train and like, and get up there early and spend the day with them. And, um, um, and they introduced me to drugs, to crystal meth, to um, cocaine, to you name it. And the the interesting thing about it, I'm just going to go forward uh, forward into it. You know, I was going through my training in shamanism, and then every so often I would go up and see them, and then I would do some drugs with them and stuff. And my elders knew what I was doing, and they were like, you know, this is the medicine you're choosing, and we know why you're doing it because of a lot of the abuse and things you went through, and you know, this is something you're going to have to process. We're not here to, to fix this for you. You have to look at why you've let this spirit in and why you're taking this medicine and why you're putting yourself in this type of situation. And, you know, and for me, when I did crystal meth, I felt alive and I felt like, you know, there was like, I felt like my pain was not there. And, and not only just the pain of like my childhood or things that I went through, but the pain that I felt from the world. Being a shaman, you know, my powers came in at age three. I started feeling the suffering of the world. I could hear voices. And then when I say that I could hear voices, they were loud. Like I would be walking in a house and spirits would be talking to me and it would be so loud. They'd be like, I know you hear me. And like screaming on the top of their lungs. And, I, and, I, and when I started talking to my elders about it, they said, that's because I haven't adjusted myself to the frequencies and energies and that it would take time for me to do that. It used to scare me because spirits would walk in my room at night and pull me out of the bed. You know, um, I had this cousin from Hawaii on my stepmom's side, who's my mom, um, and she would come over. Her name was Ulu Girl. And she would come over, you know, and a lot of times when even when we were in Hawaii, I would be out on the patio and these spirits would come. And they would hit her with a stick, you know, or sometimes they would poke at me and stuff. And I'd get like, I could feel their fingers touching me, especially in Hawaii. The spirits are so intense in Hawaii. Don't ever take anything from that island, P.S. If you ever go on vacation to Hawaii, do not steal anything. Don't take a shell or stone or anything. If you take something, you know, um, you're really uh, messing with the spirits of that island. But the spirits are really consecrated on islands, I've noticed. And in Hawaii, it's really consecrated. Like they can literally, like, like stop your car, um, you know, poke you, grab you, shake you, you know, get in your face and, and use an ectoplasma from the light that they can find around the area so they can make an outline of their eyes and their body and everything. Really intense growing up with that and being also a chosen shaman in my family, having really heightened powers made it really challenging. So doing the drugs made me feel normal. It made me, it shut those powers off. It made me, and so I'd always go there to get like, almost like my fix to like, kind of like numb myself, you know? You know, an interesting thing was, you know, I I knew of the darkness, but I didn't think like the darkness was actually really going to start working on me. Usually in shamanism, you find out that the darkness is, is you know, will be aware of you as your powers get stronger. I didn't think my powers were that strong that the darkness was already hunting me and coming for me. 
And a lot of times, you know, people don't know that the reason why the darkness hunts you or comes for you or gets into the heads of those around you and tells you things and lies and makes you feel bad about yourself by the voices of other people is because it knows that you're capable of bringing love to the world in such a big way that you can literally walk into the dark realm and light it up, which is not something they enjoy. And um, because they're, they, and not because they don't enjoy it, but they don't enjoy it because they're they're stuck in their pain and their hurt and their fear and their anger and and and, the, and their killings that they did when they had a human body. And so they, you know, darkness is very clever. I mean, I mean, how many people can go around the earth and talk about demons? You know, darkness really filtered that one in the Bible and really put that one in because darkness wants you to believe they're monsters because the more you're afraid of them, the more power they have over you, right? And so. At the time, I didn't think like, well, you know, I'm really young. I didn't think like darkness was really gonna, you know, come for me because I didn't think like, you know, I wasn't, I was just, I was, you know, still kind of medium in my powers and in my abilities. You know, I still couldn't get a hold of how to be able to control the voices that were coming at me and the energies that I would see. I mean, I still had difficulty closing um, portals that were open. You know, it took me a while to, to really cultivate those skills through practice and the interesting thing is that, you know, um, Maggie and Michael were agents of the darkness. <laughs> and it was all like orchestrated perfectly. And I love how the universe orchestrates things to get me to like be on my feet. Because in shamanism, and you've had this, I'm sure, in your own life, like there are people in your life who come in who don't serve the light. And they are sent in by the darkness as puppets to thwart you, to put ideas up in your head, to make you not believe in yourself. And it could even be your own parents. I mean, my father was also an agent of the darkness and so was my stepmom. And, and only later did I get enough power to pull my dad out of the out of the darkness, um, using my powers and to assist him out, you know, and it took quite a time to do so. So you can imagine that when you have so much light and I know a lot of you are, are listening and going, oh my God, I've had situations like this where people come in your life and they just have no good intentions to lift you and shift you their purpose is to is to push you down and to drown you and to fill you up with all types of fears and phobias and you know because they're agents of the darkness and some some people don't even know they are like if you come across a person who just all they do is just complain and talk about every worst possible thing that could ever happen and why you're so wrong and you're so bad and you're not good enough and you're not this and you're not that and that you're ugly and that you're fat and that you are all these things. They're agents of the darkness because they've been infiltrated by the darkness to attack you because that means you've got some serious light and love and power inside of you that is so bright and radiant and big that um, the darkness knows it and the darkness knows that you're a threat to the system. You know, it's the same, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Matrix where Neo and the Smiths were considered agents of the darkness and all of the people on the earth who were sleeping were also considered um, agents of the Matrix because the Matrix could take over them at any given time because they were asleep. And so the ones who are sleeping, you really got to be keep your, your wits about you around them. 
And I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm just saying that when people are not woke and they're sleeping, darkness can tap into them and they think it's them saying these things from their own intelligence. They think that this is just how they behave because they're angry or they're upset or they feel like things aren't fair, but they don't understand that darkness is weaving its thoughts and words into their mouths and making their tongue like poison and using their tongue and using their behaviors and using them as a puppet so that they can act out their um, the dark energies onto another person who is of the light or you know for instance like i had a client in um turkey whose son came to me and said my father's turning my brain black you know because the mom was of the light and the father was an agent of darkness and he was polluting his son by telling him all these horrible things and so I had to teach his son how to how to combat his father through the light, you know? And so I'm sure you have gone through that. And so Michael and Maggie were agents of the darkness, so much to the point where they had these beautiful children. And I used to love going and seeing their kids, even though I was high as completely, I mean, so high as you can imagine. But the point was, I was high, but I felt normal because I was like, oh, look, I'm not hearing any voices. Oh, look, I'm not seeing anything's walking down the street. Oh, look, I don't see colors around you anymore. Like, I'm, I'm free. I'm free, you know? And, um, and it also made it easy for me to stuff down my abuse and my pain, so I didn't have to feel that as well. But their kids were amazing. And um, one day... You know, the Michael and Maggie, you know, they were going through a very difficult time and they started looking for ways to sell their kids into other occults. And I said, I'm sorry, what are you doing? And they're like, well, you know, there's these cults that said that they would be willing to take our kids from us that would give me my freedom to live the life that I want to. I'm not the best mom anyway. And I was thinking of selling my kid to this cult because they said they would take good care of them and um, they'll give us a lot of money for them. And I thought to myself, this is not okay. Something's off here. And so I was talking to a friend about it and telling them about it. And um, I went over to their house and I said, well, you know, um, I feel very uncomfortable with what you're doing and um, I don't think it's okay. And then they're like, well, why don't you come here and smoke a joint with us and tell us your feelings about it? And of course, you know, I was like, you know, I mean, remember I was high. I didn't have facility. I didn't have access to my powers um, because I was numbing them out because I was so just overwhelmed with this path and this, this energy and this calling that I was, you know, pulled into wondering if I was really, if I had a choice at it or it was just, just something I, I have to live with. And I saw my powers and my gifts as a curse at an early age, not as a blessing as I do now. And so the interesting thing is, you know, they offered me this joint and so I smoked it and they had, they knew that I was going to turn them in about them trying to sell their children to this cult. And they um, laced the joint with uh, PCP. And all of a sudden the room started flashing and I could see their faces and I could see dark entities in the room and they were all like, take the child of light down. I could hear them chanting and I saw these like energies and these dark images. It was really, really freaky. 
And I kept saying, something's going on. I'm having, something's going on. You know, I, I, my, I, I, you know, this is opening up my things again. I can't, I can't take it. I, it's too much for me. I can't handle it. And I, and I, I started like getting scared. And then they're like, oh, just do a line of Coke here. We have some, we'll line it up for you. They're like, just do some a line of Coke really quick. And it will, it'll stop everything and you'll be fine. And you can just rest on the couch. Well, what they knew was it wasn't Coke they were giving me. It was heroin. And I, I ended up doing a line and my nose and my mouth and everything started foaming and I started shaking and I fell back onto the floor and hit my head on their table. And, and she got up and looked at me and goes, did you actually think that we were going to let you become who you needed to become and that you were going to be able to turn us in. We heard that you were talking about us with friends of ours. We know those people. We, we, they, they, they were shocked and they asked us the question and we denied it. And we knew it was you because they told us and we set this whole thing up and now you're going to, and now now you had, to, you had to push our hand and now we have to, we had to take your life. And they told this, um, person because they always had people around them you know who were feeding off them to take me and put me in the tub and um they put me in a tub in the bathroom and they closed the curtain and she basically left me there to die and i was shaking and i remember seeing this dark being talking to me going like you should just go home you you will never free our you'll never free us from our dimension you'll never free us. There's not enough love to free us from our dimension. And you're definitely not going to spark that love. And, um, you, you made a big mistake, child of light. And it was talking to me and all of a sudden the door opens and there's this beautiful blonde man with blue eyes who I've seen before around them, but I never really got to know him because there's all kinds of people, like very transient people coming in and out of their home in San Francisco. And, um, he comes in pulls back the curtain he looks at me and he goes it's you isn't it and I was just foaming I was dying and um I couldn't really say anything he goes I have to make a decision and he just kept talking and then he just picked me up and like you know he he pulled me out of there and there and took me out of the front door. I remember I was losing consciousness and he got me to San Francisco um, General Hospital and they'd, you know, put me in intensive care and pumped my stomach and put all kinds of things inside my blood. To, and I went through, um, you know, all of this heroin release. I was, I was put on methadone and I was seeing crazy things in my room. I was throwing up. I was shitting on myself. I was going through so much pain in my body. Um, and, uh, you know, I never, I never told my sister or my family about this. I kept it a secret and, you know, it was really interesting. And, you know, I saw these beings coming into my room and he was by my side the whole time. And I saw light around him and I saw, uh, angels around him and my ancestors and he said to me that he met this guru who lives up in Mount Tam and Mount Tamalpais in the mountains. And this guru told him that I was going to be a leader in the future, that I was going to lead millions of people to see their power and to, to, um, 
to cha- to trans to transfer their love into that power and that and that this person was once of Egypt and was once a pharaoh and he was saying all these things to me and he said and this person said that I would have to make a decision to save your life or to let you die and he said this was in a reading he got from this guru and he said well what does the person look like and he said it's a black man who has very egyptian like eyes and dark skin and um a very alluring very um um what is he called penetrating gaze and um that i was going to be in some type of um container or he didn't know what it was that he saw me in and that he would have to make a choice and he would know when the time would come because he would see something very drastic happen and he would be watching it and this is what this guru told him and he told me that you know he had left he was from the midwest and that he had left home to come to san francisco because he came out of the closet and he found michael and maggie at a gay club and they took him in and you know and and was like a mother and a father to him and told him that they loved him and that no one would judge him and then he got him into drugs and and then he started looking outside of that to see you know, if he could find another path and he came across this guru and he was telling me the whole story and he was telling me how he was told that information about saving me and he made that decision and that he would, and that he didn't want to go back to Maggie and Michael's and he was going to pack up his car and drive back home and heal with his mother and father and, um, you know, and change his life and, and become a being of the light. And that he was really excited about going back to the Midwest to do so. And that he felt like he made that decision that when he saved me, that he made a decision to walk away from darkness. And he was crying on my bedside and I was so sick. And um, I just held his hand and he, you know, he said, I'm going to stay with you until you get out of here and then I'm going to leave. And so he did. And he helped me. And I have a friend named Saul, and I told Saul about it. And Saul was one of my good friends. His parents had kicked him out of his home. And so I, you know, every time someone got kicked out of their home because my father was so wealthy and he really couldn't know anyway if people were living in the house because he was never really present. Um, you know, bless his dear heart. <laughs> I love my dad. He's quite a character. And um, so I moved, I took homeless people off the street and I would clean them up and I would move them into my home and then ask my dad to hire them on his construction sites and things of that nature. But Saul was a friend of mine that I went to school with that I used to skate with and he was a good kid. And and I, I wanted to train him because I knew that I had other lifetimes with him. And I thought, you know, what I learned from the elders, he can learn too. And so, you know, I said, I have to go see this guru. And I, you know, I went to see this guru and he asked me to get naked. And I thought that was really strange. So I'm like, I'm getting naked and with a guy. That was really weird. And um, so he asked me to get naked and lay on a table. And, and I was like, get naked, like take off all my clothes. And he was like, yes. And meanwhile, just to let you know that Ty was the name of the guy who saved me. He gave me a big hug and a kiss and got in his car and, um, and he left. And so, you know, Saul takes me to, the, to go see this guy. And I go to see this guy. And he tells me, lay on this table and I'm not some kind of like cabin up in the mountains. So I lay on the table and he comes in and I'm thinking, where's the guru? And it's this, this man named Mike LaFoon and he comes in, this is some guy and he's like, you know, dressed 
you know, in pair of jeans and, and like kind of like a, what I would say like a trucker type shirt, you know? And um, I'm saying, are you the guru? And he's like, yeah. is that what he, is that what Ty told you I am? And I said, yes. And he laughed and he, he, he smiled. And I remember his eyes were this beautiful bluish green eyes and he had the most beautiful face like an angel. And he walks over into me and goes, you come from a very long lineage, a very powerful, powerful people and tribe culture. And I said, uh-huh, okay. And he goes, but you're afraid of your powers and you've gone through a lot of pain. He goes, and you've been stuffing that pain. And he goes, and he goes, and you're gonna go through a lot more pain in your life and you have to be comfortable with it. And he put his hands on me and um, I was looking up at the ceiling and I remember his ceiling had like those old square type ceilings that almost look like office ceilings with those little pin like holes in them and they started to flash and change and the room started disappearing and in front of me were these African tribe and these Native American tribe and these Vikings and all types of beings and angels and all types of beings and they started talking to me telling me who they were and how and who I was and and I, I I started screaming and then everything disappeared and then he was like you're you, he goes did you see them and I said yes and he goes good then it's been done and I was like what's gonna what, what's been done he's like you're gonna cry for four days straight. You're not gonna be able to stop crying unless you fall asleep. Because after you cry, you're gonna come to the mountains and you're gonna clean your body out of all the drugs and all the alcohol and all the things that you've been putting in your system. And then after that, you're gonna be ready to step more into your power and you're gonna really truly understand who you are. And I said, so you think I'm going to come up to the mountains and this is what's going to happen and whatever. I was like, okay, you know, you know, he says, I'm going to cry for four hours, Saul. And Saul's like, okay. And so I left and he goes, I'll see you again. And um, he's like, and tell your elders and your family that I said, hello, and that you're right on path. It's like, okay, whatever this guy's telling me. So, you know, I leave the place and, uh, at the time, I used to smoke, and I so I pulled over. I said, I, I said, Saul, can you just pull over the car? I just need to have a, a cigarette. So I light up my marble cigarette, and I'm smoking. And he comes outside, and he's talking to me. And Saul says, you know, hey, let's talk about what happened. And I said, you know, I don't know. You know, it's like, you know, I have this family, and like, you know, I'm and I'm this like have these powers and I'm this and that and I just want a normal life and now this guy's telling me I'm gonna go gonna cry and like and he's like well you know don't don't react just you know we're gonna get home and relax and so forth and getting ready to go across the bridge and I tell him to stop the car I get out I stop I can't stop throwing up I start throwing up on the side of the road before we go across the Golden Gate Bridge Finally, I stopped throwing up. He gets in the car. We drive me home. I walk in the house. The house looks like it's moving slowly, like slant, like slanted. I can see all of the spirits in the home and all of these things opening up that I've been thought, you know, keeping myself drugged up on all the drugs would make me stop seeing. And I go to the back part of the house and I just start screaming and crying and Saul comes in and he says, are you okay? And I was like, I need you to stay here with me and make sure I'm going to be okay. 
And I cried and cried and cried and I kept crying and I couldn't stop crying. And then I fell asleep and then I woke up the next day and cried again and then cried all day long. And Saul kept coming in with buckets and rags and tissue and giving me water and, you know, trying to feed me what he could. And then I would cry again and I fell asleep. And then again, I woke up and I cried. It was exactly four days. And on the fourth day of crying my eyes out. I thought it was going to, I was so weak because I cried so much I could barely move. And Saul was making soup and he was doing all these things to take care of me. And on the fourth day, it was over and I was free. I felt free. I realized that I was holding on all that pain And I told Saul, I need to go up to the mountains. And I went to the mountains and I met this lovely man named um, Dr. David. (laughs) And he had this place called the San Francisco Medical Research Foundation in the Global Peace Project. And um, I was at his house and Mike was there. And, you know, he said, you're going to stay here. And every day you're going to get up and you're going to hike. And you're not going to let any of your friends come here. And you're going to clean your body. And you're going to tap into your ancestors and you're going to tap into the spirits of nature and you're going to walk through the redwood trees and you're going to go down to, to the beach and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to connect with yourself by yourself and you're going to really understand who you are. And, and so I did and I cleaned myself up and what I did is I, 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 you know, I, I put myself through a lot of tests to do so. And I did it. And I wasn't the type of person who was like, oh, my friends who are doing drugs or drinking, I can't be around them. In fact, my elders told me to be around them. So that way I can see the drugs and see the alcohol in my face. And one time I was at a party and one of my friends who's a big DJ, who's now become a huge DJ to this day. And he said to me, oh, do you, would you like a line of Coke or would you like some party favors? And he handed me the, the glass and he was, everyone was taking a line. And I looked at the glass and I looked at it and I smiled and I said, no, I'm okay. Thank you. And, you know, I ended up working for Dr. David and I learned a lot about him, about him and his philosophies around holistic medicine, allopathic medicine, understanding sound and color. And we would do gonging every day inside the temple. And, you know, I got to really be a part of something wonderful. And then fast forwarding forward, what was very good lesson for me is that Mike was very obsessed with this, um, with this being called Ashtar. And Ashtar was considered an ascended master. And Mike believed that on the 11-11, there was going to be this great um, convergence. And all of these people were going all over the world dressed in white. And he wanted me to join in to this ceremony. And he said, this is the time when Ashtar will come with his spaceship and take all those into ascension and all the rest of the people will be left behind. And I thought, all the people are going to be left behind. He said, yes, only the ones who are ready to ascend and you're one of them. So you need to make time to be able to go into that space. Now, this was years later, by the way, which I've already done a lot of training since then and have worked a lot in the African culture and the Yoruban and understanding my family's roots and so forth. And um, I was working with this princess um, who was from Croatia, 
who called herself Princess Susan Radich. And, you know, she was also a teacher of mine and she was teaching me a lot about how to let my vessel be open to to descent to be able to move into the underworld and be able to navigate the underworld and then bring my body back and then they would you know there would be sacrifices of course that I wasn't really into of animals and the babalao would come and throw the cocoa shells and everything but you know at that time I was going through different um, experiences, you know, and Mike was holding on to a, a different viewpoint of ascended masters and all of these different things. And, and then I was really deep in the Yoruban, deep into understanding my role with my, 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 with Shango and Yamaya and understanding the Orishas and really getting deep into the rituals and all of the things that I was being put into, which is one of the reasons why I don't sacrifice to this day, because I grew up watching sacrifices and I couldn't take it. I mean, they're just uncomfortable things to watch animals being killed in ritual. Um, and of course, I have a lot of friends who are shamans in Africa and they tell me, Dirk, you need to go into that again. And I just, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't feel like I need to. And that's just me. And everyone, some people can disagree and some people can agree and that's okay. And, uh, but, you know, growing up and having that around you and, and experiencing that, um, and then going into the idea of having this guru that also worked with you and, and is telling you that, you know, you're going to be leaving the planet. So I literally started packing up all my stuff and getting rid of all my possessions. And, you know, my friends were like, are you sure? I said, nope, today's the day Ashtar's coming to get me. And, you know, I would lay on this mat and wait for him all day long. And my friends came over and they're like, Dirk, we love you. But Ashtar didn't come, huh? What happened? And I was like, Ashtar didn't come. He didn't come. And, though, and then I called Mike and I said, Mike, why didn't Ashtar come? And he said, well, Ashtar came, but we weren't ready. There's so much more time on the earth. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know to believe him or not believe him, but I can tell you this. It opened my eyes to be aware of how I listened to information from people and, you know, and the validity of it as far as who I'm getting the information from. Mike was great to a point in my life. But then he kept getting caught up in leaving his traditions and going into this very um, ascended master, Ashtar, um, light convergence, you know, ETs and all this kind of stuff. And, and I followed him a little bit and got dis and dis and, you know, and was a little bit disappointed, you know, in the idea that I blindly followed him and that the lesson from spirit was don't blindly follow and really make sure that the information is suitable and connected to what is really going on at this time. And discernment is so important, not just discernment on how long someone has been doing what they're doing, but discernment on, you know, the validity of what type of information are they giving you? Because, you know, some information is a little too woo-woo in the sense of, you know, some things that people say, you know, for me, I like taking things very much into both. You know, what I learned as a shaman was that I needed to understand both sides. I needed to understand religion. I needed to understand science. I needed to understand quantum physics. I needed to understand the dynamics that shamanism was built on, which was alchemy and understanding, you know, mysticism and understanding the depth of, of the health and the body and the physiology and all that. So that's why I went to holistic school and became a health educator and got to work 
with cadavers and got to learn about the body and, you know, went to massage school and learned about the body and Eastern therapies and learned about the meridians. And, you know, all of these things gave me the knowledge and the ability that I have today, not just the ancient wisdom that I got from my family's lineage, but the ancient wisdom that I got from all sorts of different lineages. And so, you know, I come across a lot of people who will just say things to me like, oh, this psychic said that I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. Or they said that I'm not loving myself. I need to love myself. And, you know, it's, it's these types of things that, that, um, really make me upset because people don't go into discernment. There are shamans who have only studied shamanism for two to three years, and they've only worked with plant medicine, but they haven't studied physiology, kinesiology, pathology, understanding the dynamic structures of of the mind, how it operates, um, how the body operates. They just went over and learned how to put the medicine, how to make it, how to cut it, how to brew it, and that's it. And these people you're trusting with your life when you're put onto some form of um, a medicine, this is who you're trusting that if you go into anaphylactic shock or you go into any kind of adverse reaction that could affect your biological system, you're going to put your trust in that this shaman has enough knowledge and aptitude and study and training of the human body to be able to save your life and make sure that they can um, uh, keep you safe. You know, when you go to a psychic, don't you ask, how long have you been reading? How much divination do you do? Do you only read cards? Can you read runes? Can you read um, um, tea leaves? Um, can you read coffee? Can you read, can you scry? Can you read the smoke? Can you throw cocoa shells? Can you throw a coconut? Can you throw a dice? Can you read from that? Can you read from playing cards? Because I can, and I studied all forms of divination, I go to Turkey when I was young and I, I used to sit in Teshvikie and learn how to read coffee from this woman who used to come every single day to this one cafe in Turkey. And I was young. I was, you know, I was um, in my early 20s. I, you know, I was learning from her. She would tell me, this is how you read coffee, you know, and it was amazing. I learned how to do water readings where this amazing elder taught me how to throw dirt into the water and, and swirl the water around until the dirt would um, condense on the bottom and create an image and then how to read that archetypal image. Um, smoke, how to read the lines on a tree, uh, to find runes in nature. I can go to nature and look at a tree and I can see runes like, you know, Urus or Dalgas or Feyu, you know, I can see the different runes that are there, you know, in the trees. I can walk through nature and be in a space where I'm able to see the images of things starting to appear in front of me. And these images that appear in front of me are opening up, you know, doorways of consciousness. A lot of people don't connect into that space. They don't connect into the understanding of the way that they, um, you know, that they are seeing things in their environment. I can see signs. I can read signs. That's why my friends call me the greatest harbinger because I can see things because also not just because of that, but also because I was the Oracle of Delphi known as Pythia in another lifetime, which I'm sure adds a lot to it. But what I'm saying is if you're going to be a person who divinates you know, you do want to be able to, you know, to understand the certain things that you actually see and experience, right, are really important because, you know, 
you you're giving information to people and you have to make sure that these people are protected you have to make sure that people are safe and that they're protected and that they are not going to be hurt or you know in some way because of the fact that you are not operating from a place of knowing how to 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 give them that sort of protection and you're not going to go do tarot card readings if you've only been reading for one year that's not enough time to understand how to connect to the tarot and if you're going to learn tarot you should learn it from playing cards like that's how i learned tarot i learned from playing cards and then you move from playing cards to the writer's um writer's deck and then you can start going on to other cards but i see people who will go right over to these other cards without learning the basic writer's tarot deck or playing cards. And so they need to look in books every time they, they go to give a reading, you know, and people who can't, um, you know, who don't even know the runes when they see in nature, you know, nature is imprinted with ancient symbolisms. You know, there are, there are sacred runes that are like Burkana, which is a powerful rune that, you know, that is really powerful. And if you actually look at any kind of Bluetooth, um, symbolism burkana is in that bluetooth symbolism because the people who created the bluetooth um, used the runes as a symbolism but burkana in in the you know in the the runic culture you know is a very powerful rune or you know any of these um like for instance like if you if you operate from the rune um of awas awas is a powerful rune it's about movement right and so when you get into understanding the runic energies when you get into understanding them you can see them in nature you can see um how they exist in flowers and how they exist in, in 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 the trees and how they exist around you you know and like for instance like when i one time was walking um and i i you know i was sitting on this brook by a stream and there was this rock and i was looking at the imprints on the rock and it had um it had the burkano on it which is the burkana which is a rune which basically means rebirth and renewal and energy and you know understanding the deep uh, levels of change and transformation in yourself and so it is really about connecting to that rebirthing energy right and so Literally, I, I, I got a message from spirit that this I'm going, I'm about to head into this rebirthing period. And it did. That's exactly what happened. Right. And so, you know, again, when anytime you're talking to one, it's not just someone who's divinating. I mean, one time I was invited, uh, I was with my friend. Katie and we were a bunch of group of friends and we were in and Carmel and there was this big psychic fair, you know, and the psychic fair was happening and my friends were like, let's go, let's go. And so everyone decided to go. And when I walked in, this woman who knew me was like, oh my God, Shaman Dirk, you're here. I want to take you to a reader. And she took me into this reader and the reader, she said, was like one of the best. I sat down with this woman and the moment she started reading my tarot cards, I put my hand on the table and said, stop. And she said, why? I said, because you don't know how to read tarot and you should really be more, have more integrity because people are coming to you and opening themselves up to you and you don't know how to read. So you could be leading someone off a cliff or making them believe something and then they go and create it. You know, you have to be very mindful of what you're doing, my dear. And she goes, how do you know I don't really know how to read the tarot? I said, because I'm a shaman and I can see it. And I can tell by the way you're reading me, it's uh, it's like right out of the book, you know, and you must have memorized the book because everything you're about to say to me is text written by your book. It's not exactly what this card represents and what you're actually saying to me is not indicative 
in the fact that you know divination. I said, what other forms of divination do you know how to do? She said, well, I only do reading. I said, well, that right there would make me not want to have a reading with you because if you don't know how to divinate out of midair without tarot cards, but just by looking at the clouds or looking at smoke or looking at the way the ocean is moving, and you don't know how to read the signs that the spirits are showing because that's what divination is. Divination is the spirits giving messages through the ocean, through the wind, through the smoke, through the things on the, the imprints on the trees and all of these different things. I said, I'm sorry, you know, um, but I said, I, I'm still going to pay you, you know, because you obviously need money and, you know, but I really encourage you to really become a master in the form of divination. And she thanked me and cried and, you know, and I, I my other friends had their readings and then we left and we ended up going back to Carmel and, um, and having a wonderful lunch. But the thing is, is that and, that, and that's what I said. That's what I learned from Mike was that it was so embarrassing telling all my friends that Ashtar was coming to take me and I was going to ascend. And then I'm sitting on this mat waiting and waiting. When How is it going to happen? Am I going to dematerialize? Like what's going to happen to me? And then nothing happened. You know, and there are times where I've been at lightning in the bottle and I had this woman come up to me and she told me I'm a shaman and you give so much. I want to do some shamanic healing on you. And she takes me into a room and lays me on a, on, on a table um, and in a tent at lightning in the bottle. And she starts, you know, banging a drum and burning sage and putting the feather over my body. And then, you know, doing this thing like blowing into my body and things like that. And I felt absolutely nothing, nothing. Not even a, 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 a an electrical shock, not a hot and cold sensation, nothing. And, you know, at the end, she's like, you know, she's like, I'm, you know, I do, it's very powerful, my work. And I've been told I'm so powerful. And, you know, and I, I just looked at her and I said, you know, I didn't want to, there was a lot of people around and I know, you know, she, you know, she's doing her thing. And I just said, you know, I would love if you would like me to show you some things and that would be great. You know, and then I had a situation, same thing happened where I was in Turkey and there was this guy named Metin and he said, oh, I'm going to, I want you to introduce me to a lot of your celebrity, your, a lot of your, your public figure, you know, um, type clientele. Cause I go a lot to America and, you know, and he, um, same thing, you know, he, he was in very much into the spiritual world from what I know. You know, I didn't know so much about him in Turkey. I just know that he wrote a book and stuff like that. And everyone was telling me he was very spiritual. And so, you know, we connected and he had want me to, you know, do stuff at his center and do things like that and whatnot. And, you know, a very sweet guy, very wonderful. And, um, you know, he said, well, let me come over and show you what I can do. And he came over to my place and he did this healing on me. And I looked at him and I said, you know, that's very rudimentary. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you're healing. Is this the, this is the extent of your powers? And he said, he said, well, yeah, this is my strongest thing. This is what I'm known for in Turkey. This is what I do for people. And I said, okay, I said, this is very rudimentary. This is stuff that I learned when I was like 12 years old. And it's not, it's not, it can definitely be advanced. I said, I would love if you'd be open for me to show you how you can advance that in a short amount of time and take that to the next level. And I think at that point, he was just really upset that I said that, but I have to be honest. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say things to people if it's to, to hurt them. I'm saying it to them because I love them and I want to see them grow and become more powerful and greater because the more powerful people on the planet, the easier life I have because I can sleep better at night knowing I'm sharing this planet with people who are woke, who are leaders, who are healers, who are operating at the highest level. Not healers who do Reiki on you and in their mind, they're wondering if it's going to work. That means you just, you know, you just canceled it out. 
So I'm very much about, um, about, you know, people really honing their craft and really being about stepping into who they are and what they're doing and really bringing about new philosophies, new ideas, new techniques, new um, technology through their healing, through their techniques, through their abilities. I'm just not into people who pretend, you know, and I think that lesson that I learned from that experience with Mike, that lesson that I learned from that experience, and I've had many others, don't get me wrong, I've had so many others, you know, and um, even shamans that I've met in different parts of the world, you know, I was like, um, why are you not honoring your family's traditions? Why are you getting so caught up in the in the mundane? You know, it's like, it's just, and I'm not here to be like, I'm the all-knowing um, person. I'm just here to say like, look, I have to strengthen my craft of who I am. Every day, it's a refinement. It's a refinement of Shaman Durek, right? So every day, I'm connecting with the elders. I'm learning. I'm, I'm you know, connecting. And it's great to have my father now on the other side, a part of the elders and the, and the old council to be able to talk to them and really get more information. Because when the family's together, it makes it even stronger but also just the the understanding of like meeting with other people on planet earth who are teaching me things about things that I never knew about, you know? It's about, you know, constantly refining it, but it's also about making sure that if you're going to put your trust and your energy into someone, you want to make sure they're seasoned, seasoned, right? You're going to make sure they're seasoned, that they've got that seasoning on them because it's important because you want the people who are you are doing things with to be seasoned because it's 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 able to lift you to a higher place to shift you to a higher place. You don't want someone who's only been practicing um, doing sweat lodges for only one year, like that one guy who was on the secret who took a bunch of people in the mountains, and I don't know why these people blindly followed him without doing their due diligence. You know, first of all, sweat lodges tamaskal is what they're called. Um, black elk, for instance, you could never. In any cultural, tribal culture who works with the traditional sweat lodges, you could not even move from um, manning the fire until about six to seven to eight years before you get to work with the stones and go in and run your own sweat lodge. And, you know, if you... Um, meet someone who's like, oh yeah, let's do sweat lodges and they've only been doing it for two years, like it's not a safe bet. That guy who took all those people who was on The Secret which I thought was another interesting thing that all the people who are in the secret other than my friend Michael Bethwick, a lot of them weren't even vetted. Like they're just like, oh yeah, they they have a lot of followers. Let's just bring them on. Who cares if they have a lot of followers? Back up what they know. Like do what 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 makes you this guru, this person who has this information? Are you seasoned? So this guy wasn't seasoned, and so because he was on the secret, everyone gate went like, hooray, hurrah, he's amazing. So he's like, I'm gonna do a big retreat, and he did a big retreat, and um, and what happened in his retreat? He ended up taking a bunch of people on the retreat, and he put them on on a fast and took them through like a vision quest and you know and that vision quest you know unfortunately um you know uh, basically killed uh people on his vision quest um because he was arrogant and egotistical and didn't care for the well-being of others by taking them on that whole entire vision quest to begin with uh because of the fact um he what you know he had no right to, no right to do that he had no right to take people when he wasn't seasoned you know um it's not okay it's not okay and that's the problem the problem is that you have a lot of people you know who are not seasoned 
and who are not stepping into that place of of responsibility and you know um and really getting into a space of how can they serve a greater way and you know so he he wasn't you know and i'm i'm glad that he's out of prison now because he was he, those people died and it's unfortunate that people had to die um for his for his lack of 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 love and his lack of devotion for humanity by putting people at risk you know and i i i said like you know same with the guy in turkey i really hope that he got gets training to be able to utilize these beautiful powers that he has to take them up to upgraded levels. And I, a woman who's in Carmel or the massage therapist I met in Palm Springs, who everyone said he was amazing and they, people fly from Paris all over. And then he doesn't even know how to do a petrosage and doesn't even know what an effleurage is. And he doesn't even know what the contraindications of the body is. And I had to educate him and stop the massage and still paid him because I wanted his boss, you know, I didn't want to embarrass him in front of the whole spa. But the whole point was I had to school him. I had to check him. I had to be like, yo, Dude, you're putting your hands on people's body. You smoke cigarettes. You smell like an ashtray. First of all, my body's a temple. You're not going to massage me and put your grubby little hands all over my body and smell like, um, like cigarette smoke. Uh, you're not going to be like doing bumps of coke in the bathroom and then go and do a healing session with someone. I knew this person I met at, at one of these festivals and they were doing, doing healing sessions. And I looked at them and I said, are you on coke? And he said, yes, I'm, I'm on coke. I said, you're on, you're on coke and you're, and you're doing these healing sessions on people? I mean, no, you need to be in yourself, true to who you are, seasoned, taking care of yourself, being in the embodiment of what you say you are. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes and stuff because that's a part of the growth. We're not perfect. And there is no shaman who's got it all figured out or guru for that matter, not even the Dalai Lama himself. The thing is, is if you're in a human biological space to suit, you know, you're getting, you're getting, you're getting shit thrown at you and you're dealing with it. You just may have more tools to be able to navigate through it as like I do, but we, we get stuff thrown at us like every single person on the planet. We just have more tools to be able to navigate through it. So the thing is though, you can't be going around giving people tarot card readings and throwing things down and telling people you're going to do things for them when you're not seasoned. I don't care. I know recently I was at, um, was a wellspring and everyone was like, Oh my God, Russell Brand is going to be here. He's going to be talking and sharing and da da da. I'm sorry. Okay. Russell Brand is not seasoned. Okay. You can write a book as a celebrity and get your book sold because you're a celebrity. But if you're a celebrity, it doesn't mean you know you have the golden tongue. That means that you have the golden words. You may know about different things that you can take bits and pieces of, but a seasoned person is someone who put themselves in the field without any reward. It was just constant service. I remember there were times as a shaman, I never even charged people for years and years and years and years and years. For years and years and years and years and years, I never charged people. I just went out and did service to people. That's what it was. I would be in this country doing this thing, doing this thing. No money was ever exchanged. And then it went from that to donations. And then it went from that to, I deserve to get massages and take better care of myself and live in a better place and be able to travel without always having to ask people to pay for my tickets to go places. And I want to be self-independent. So then I started charging people. But there was a time where I was just in it, where I was working in battered women's shelters. I was working in, um, in, in AIDS hospices. I was working working, you know, with, with children. I was working in orphanages, you know, doing everything I can to season myself as Shaman Durek.
you know? And I, it's like, great, Russell Brand. You, you've taken AA and you've put a spin on it and made it sound so cool. But the thing is like, and it's not saying that I don't respect what you're doing. It's just that I'm not this like, you're the guru, you're the thing. I think the whole idea of age of guru is over. And we have to start becoming independent of ourselves and recognizing the power we have as leaders. You know, I, there's one thing I cannot stand more than anything is when someone tries to put me up on a pedestal. Because if I have to pull my pants down and take a shit in front of you to let you know that I'm human, I will have to do so. Because I am not in this game. If you put me on a pedestal, you better get up on that pedestal with me so I can see eye to eye with you because I'm not going to look down at you. I'm not into guru consciousness where I have disciples. I, this is not an Osho train, okay? This is the lit train. And on the lit train, everyone on that train is acting uh, um, independently responsible, meaning showing up with love and being the leaders of legacy that they are. They are here to bring legacy. We're not here to, to worship the golden calf and find one guru so we can all follow them. We're here to say, hey, you know what, Shaman Dirk? Show me how to become like you and even better. Show me how to see the power that's inside of me. Show me how to, 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 to enhance what I already have. If I'm a Reiki master, show me how to take Reiki to the next level. If I'm a practicing shaman, I'm only doing drums and working with sage. Show me how to access greater than that. You know, if I'm only doing tarot card reading, show me how to understand how to go deeper than the tarot cards. That I can throw a stick in the air and when it hits the ground, I know exactly what's going on. That someone could clap their hands and I can read. You know, show me how to access these things, not me, you making me your guru, right? No, it's you making me an uh, understanding of how to help you to develop and cultivate yourself, lay those seeds so they can become, so they can be in earth so that you can get the harvest of your seed and be able to, to recognize the power and the glory that you are, the beauty that you are, the joy that you are, the life that you are, the healer that you are, the shaman that you are, the mystic that you are, the, the inventor, the innovator, the creative genius the, that you are not anything else. This is not about putting people above you. I don't care if they're celebrity. I have a lot of celebrity friends. They're just like you. They're just more of their business is out through media. They're known through media, but they're just like you. They don't have that shit figured out. You know, they don't. A lot of celebrities, you'd be surprised who are out there talking about health and wellness and this and that and the other. They don't even know what they're talking about. They're getting readouts from people. They don't know. They're, they're not seasoned. When they want to get seasoned, it's like my friend Leanne Rhymes. She called me up you know, uh, four months ago and said to me, honey, um, I want to train in shamanism with you. I said, you do? She said, yes, I do, because I have the soul of Everly, and I want to I take it to the next level. I want to really understand how to bring out my medicine woman that I know is inside of me, that I can feel. I want to take it out. I said, I will give you all that I can, my love. She said, okay, great. I would love to do that. That's someone who I want to hear because she wants to be seasoned so I can trust in her, in her process, in her growth, in her maturity into understanding how to be a spiritual leader who's able to bring words, information, and knowledge to the forefront of people to help them see themselves as leaders. Anytime you meet a guru, a healer, or a shaman who looks down at you or makes them think, or you put them up on a pedestal because they went and learned how to, to, to um, to mix a brew or something like this, if you don't see that they are just like you, I have friends who are shamans who come from Peru. The first thing they want to do is they want to meet some celebrities. 
that's the, the first thing they want to do. What, what did Mandela want when he first, the first thing that Mandela wanted when he got out of prison was to meet Naomi Campbell. To meet Naomi. I know Naomi. He wanted to meet Naomi. Why? Because when he was there, he got a TV at the last part of his time. And how do I know this? Because his autobiographer is a person that I spent a lot of time with in, in Tuscany when I stay at my friend's um, castle in Tuscany in, um, in, in uh, Scansano. And they used, he used to come to dinner and we used to have long talks about Mandela. And he would spend lots of time with Mandela because he was writing his, his famous book. And I can tell you, he said to me at the very end of his, his time, he asked for a TV. He got a TV and all, the all he wanted to do was watch the fashion shows and watch the girls walking up and down the runway. So when he got out, who opened the doors for him to come out? Naomi Campbell. So the point I'm making is, is that there are, it's not about putting people up on pedestals. You know, it's about seeing that they're human. We're all human. And it's about how do we operate in seasoning ourselves and being available to bring information and knowledge and bring that level of clarity and instruction to the public in a way that supports to lift us and shift us and to take our evolution further. So that's what it's about. Discernment, being aware of what, sh what are you following? What are you connecting with? And who are you connecting with? And what is their background? And what knowledge do they have? And is their knowledge tangible? Like when you listen to ancient wisdom today, I'm giving you tangible. The guests that I bring on, I vet them. I vet them like a crazy person. People have no idea what kind of vetting I do. I start going and tell my team, okay, find out what kind of question. How long have they been doing this? How, why are they an expert in this? What makes them know what they're doing? And so forth and so forth. You don't get on ancient wisdom today just because. You get on it because you have been through some things and you've got something to share. I vet who's going to bring information to the tribe because the tribe is sitting in a circle and we're all listening to that person. I want to make sure that that person is seasoned. And when you're here on Ancient Wisdom Today, you know I am not. I am the biggest skeptic. And I can tell you this. A skeptic is a healthy person. It is a person who is able to understand not to go blindly into things. They are smart. I'm a healthy skeptic. And that skeptic helps me to weed out the nonsense and keep that which is real. And I love you so much. So I really ask you, implore you, invite you to, to begin that in your own life. And if you are a person who's not seasoned, get seasoned, stay on it. Like I tell my friends, if you're an actor, if you're not acting every single day, reading scripts and doing any kind of gig that comes your way, then you're not an actor. So just step aside because there are people who are and they will and they'll do exactly that. They'll be reading scripts and be doing some play, not even making money, but the fact that, the fact that they're in that play, they're happy. Or they'll do a commercial. They don't care what it is. And then all of a sudden they get their big break. you know. And it's because they really were in devotion to it. Be in devotion to your craft. Be in devotion to who you are. I love you. You know that. You definitely know that. I love you. Mm. You're so delicious. So wonderful. If you're not following me on Shaman Durek on Instagram, please do so. So you can get on those IG lives with me and we can have a nice little family time, tribal talk. So good. So wonderful. And if you want to level up your powers, you can also go to my website, sign up on my newsletter. You can also, my newsletter, we give out videos, um, instruction videos that you can only get by being on the newsletter. So if you're not on that newsletter, you're missing out on some really cool information. And also, uh, please go to iTunes, leave a review so other people can check in to hear what you have to say about the share and 
most importantly, invite to ignite. Bringing people to the tribe is about bringing people alive. It's about lifting them and shifting them. It's like bringing them to life, giving them life, breathing life into them. Many people write me letters telling me how they brought their parents to the tribe and now their parents have changed and they see all these things that they were doing. I mean, I get letters and letters and letters of so many people whose lives have changed because they were willing to invite and ignite. So invite to ignite. I love you all so much. Remember, you're, you, are, you are something. You are something something fabulous. Till next time. Bye.